In your wanderings, you stumble upon a ruined temple buried deep within the heart of the forest. Wary, you continue on through thick overgrowth until you see a clearing that was once an ancient cathedral built by people, now rebuilt by nature itself. In the center is a preserved altar, stacked with various dice of all shapes and colors. As you contemplate what this means, a cloaked figure approaches from the shadows. Welcome, brave adventurer. Have you come to roll the dice? Explore strange new worlds with new strange rules? If you seek adventure worthy of being shared with good friends, you have come to the right place. Just roll for initiative. Welcome to the Nat One Nerds Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, I am your singular host for today's episode, as unfortunately my co-host Brandon is had something come up last minute and he had to take care of that. But on the flip side, I have the sole honor of being able to introduce our two guests, Emily and Sierra, from Rosemary TV Studios. A little bit about Emily real quick. Emily had always been a fantasy fan, and when her dad gave her all of his old D&D gear, she instantly wanted to learn how to play. Her dad's friend Randy became her Dungeon Master mentor and taught her how to be a DM and a player. Ever since then, she's been in several campaigns since she was 14. She also loves fencing, writing, ATVing, baking, and board games. She is currently attending BYU-Idaho for an English degree. She has written and run several plot, line, plot lines for Alliance LARP Denver and has volunteered for many acting positions there. Her claim to fame, she once screamed so loud while acting that she nearly passed out. Sierra, as a teenager, had initially thought D&D would be lame. However, Sierra eventually decided to play D&D with Emily. Once Sierra actually started playing D&D, she immediately loved the game and actually became more social through D&D than she was before. Sierra attended the Colorado Film School for a year, has performed in seven plays, and she prefers haunted houses to scary video games or movies. She has also written plot lines for Alliance LARP Denver. So do you guys actually want to explain a little bit about what Alliance LARP Denver is since you both were involved with that? Definitely. So Alliance LARP Denver is actually a national group. So it's Alliance LARP technically, and it's a group of people who come together to go live action role playing. They rent out a cabin or rent out an entire campsite, campsite, actually. Thank you. (laughs) And they go for a weekend or sometimes they'll do day games. And pretty much it's where players can come to play the game and you're able to go on quests and dress up as your character. And it's really amazing. So us as we were, we played as non-player characters. So NPCs for the, for the game and for the group, we wrote plot lines for them. And and it was really cool to see those plots that we wrote come to life on, you know, in real life. It was pretty amazing. Did those plot lines ever go exactly as you wrote them, or was it kind of like D&D where some monkey wrenches kind of got thrown in by, by different people participating in the plot line? I'd say it rarely goes how you plan it to go. There'll be certain instances you're like, yes, we knew this was going to happen, but most of the time they do something you do not expect. So in that sense, it's a little like DMing, but I'd say DMs get a curveball a lot more than we do at Alliance. See, now, now i got to find something here in Phoenix to be able to do that. So, Definitely. Sounds, sounds ultimately fun. And I could probably use my Renaissance Fair outfit a lot more often. So. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and I spent a lot of money on it because I bought it at Renaissance <laughs> Oh, we all know the dangers of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't go in with a full checking account because now they take card. So, <laughs> oof. But yeah, well, guys, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're we're I, I speak for both of us that you guys are here. Um, 
and I, we are going to be talking about some of the Dungeons and Dragons books out there. Because I know in some of our episodes, we've talked about books in the past, like the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, the Monster Manual, uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. Looking at my shelf, I have about, I'd say about 12 to 14 books alone. And I know that's not even half of even just the official Dungeons and Dragons books out there that, that anybody can buy. D&D can be kind of an overwhelming game at times. So we figured... Uh, for those who are wanting to jump in or returning, um, or people that just want recommendations, I think you guys were were the best to, to call up and and give your uh, give your own recommendations for different books for different people. Awesome! Yeah, well, we're we are more than happy to come in and chat about it because we love D and D and we have a lot of books as well. So not nearly as much as you, but. We do love our D and D books. <laughs> in your uh, in your guys' channel for Rosemary PG Studios on YouTube, you guys actually talk about different D and D concepts in these nice little short videos for especially for newer players or for returning players that may maybe they played you know three point five edition and they're trying to get back into it and find that fifth edition is the current and honestly also the most popular of all D&D editions. Um, can you guys tell us a little bit more about, about what you guys do on that channel and kind of how that started a little bit before we dive into some recommendations? Yeah. So we decided to start Rosemary PG Studios because we wanted some clean fantasy content that family could also watch. And so we decided to start with D&D because we both love D&D. And we wanted to present D&D in a way that new players who know nothing about the game can get into it. And returning players have a nice place to start with short videos that don't take a lot of time. Because I've seen a couple of those videos just, just to see what kind of what it was about. And I'm sitting there the whole time thinking like, man, if there was just something like this that somebody had pointed me toward when I first got into Dungeons & Dragons... And just getting into the, you know, tabletop um, RPG community in general would have been so helpful. So helpful. Because then I could have felt like I had more options. Because I remember my first character was pretty basic. It was a human ranger. And I essentially just tried to make an Aragorn. So, <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Because he, he was quiet. He kind of was the strong silent type in a, in a way. He, you know, he's... He sat in the corner just smoking his pipe, you know, the flames of the tobacco leaves just kind of illuminating his face. <laughs> At least that's what I try to do, and it didn't quite end up that way. Well, then, let's uh, go ahead and, and jump into some uh, book recommendations. Um, as I kind of mentioned, I know in previous episodes for us, we've mentioned that players at, players at the very, very, very least should get a copy of the Player's Handbook for 5th edition. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that for Dungeon Masters, not only the Player's Handbook, because that's where all the basic rules are, but also the Dungeon Master's Guide to help kind of facilitate their thoughts and to organize them and to show like what you can really do as a Dungeon Master. And then also either the Monster Manual or Monsters of the Multiverse with all all the mechanics and stats needed to uh, throw different kinds of monsters and enemies um, or even allies uh, to throw in front of the players while while they're adventuring in the setting that you as a DM have created. Um, but in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the other books. So, But in honor of my buddy Brandon, I'm going to go ahead and say what he would recommend, and that is an adventure module called Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Um, my buddy Brandon, I believe he's mentioned in the previous episode as well. Him and his wife actually played it just the two of them together. Um, he modified it very heavily because most campaigns and sessions should should have should have more than one player and a and a dungeon master involved. But he kind of tweaked it for for them and he they made it work. So they he just says that he just had a really good time with that adventure module and that if anybody's looking for to to start in an adventure module that takes place in more Arctic 
type environments and I believe it involves giants as well as part of the plot line. If that sounds interesting to people, then we get that. Because when I say adventure module, I mean it's it's a book. It doesn't necessarily have additional rules per se, but it essentially just spells out an entire campaign for a dungeon master to work with. Now the dungeon master, I I would say, still needs to plan and work through it, but it pretty much lays out all the tools almost in one book for them. So that that is Brandon's suggestion for for anybody. Um, That's a great suggestion. Yeah. No, I mean he he's talked very highly of it. So if if I ever were to get another adventure module, I probably would go for that one. But what about what about you guys? What what would you guys recommend? Pierre, you want to take this one? Well, I'm split between two books, but. I'll start with one of my more favorite ones. Um, it's Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So this one is great if you're a player or if you're a dungeon master. Why it's my favorite, though, is because in it it has um, This Is Your Story, which is a really cool way you can make an in-depth backstory for your character. I love backstories because I love to do homebrew and incorporate all my players' backstories and kind of have the plot be surrounding them. And so this just helps them, like, create something that is in-depth instead of just like, I left my village because I could. Cause people do that, and that's okay. But it like this builds family members, it builds history, it builds crazy things that happen. And then it also has more magic items in it, and it also has more subclasses, which I love the subclasses because that's what makes a character very unique to me. I was about to say, I definitely know, so my favorite, one of my favorite classes is the Ranger just because it was my first character, so I've always been partial to that class. I don't always play a ranger, but if somebody were to ask, what's your what's your absolute favorite class, I usually say ranger. And I know with Xanathar's Guide, once I was published, the ranger got a lot cooler pretty quick, just because the subclasses were just... They were built better mechanically. Um, they were more interesting in, in topic. So I believe Xanathar's is the one that introduces, I believe, the Horizon Walker Ranger, where you can go between between planes, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, we can look. We actually have it with us. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, the we yeah the Horizon, yeah, the Horizon Walker. Walker. It's got the Gloom Stalker, the Horizon Walker, and the Monster Slayer Ranger subclasses in there. Yeah, the the Horizon Walker. The idea of a ranger that protects not only against just evil in general, outside of the material plane type evil. Definitely a lot better than the subclasses that were in the player's handbook. Like the best subclass was the one where you could have a pet. That was about it. <laughs> that is actually so exciting. You're making me want to play a ranger now, so <laughs> it's definitely in my opinion the most one of the more versatile classes, but because it's so versatile, it suffers in power. And so I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, Ranger is not that great of a class, which, depending on the person, may or may not be true. But I just, I, I love the concept too much. And especially with subclasses like the Horizon Walker or the Gloom Stalker that goes underneath the earth and fights the evil that lurks beneath type thing. It's, it's, that's also pretty cool. So. Yeah, that's definitely one I would also recommend because it's it just it broadens the horizon, which it could overwhelm people at first, but in my opinion, it's better to have too many options than none of them. I'd have to agree with that. So what what was your second book? Oh my second one? Okay. So my second one is Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Oh, you, you picked the good one. It's so good. What I love about this one specifically is that well, it adds more subclasses for one, like class features. Which, so more of those like yes. options, because <laughs> I love options. <laughs> um, but it also goes into like how to make a group patron, which is such a cool idea, and for me it was hard to really figure out how to do. And then it talks about more in-depth about magical stuff, about, like, fey creatures. 
But then it also has a section that's just on Dungeon Master tools. And what I love about this is it has what to do for a session zero, because a lot of people just skip a session zero, but it's actually quite important. And then it also goes more into, like, parlaying with monsters, because a lot of people are like, oh, we just have to kill them. It puts in a new idea that there's more than one way to solve a problem. And then the last thing that just, like, makes it, oh, even better is, is it has puzzles in it and how to like build puzzles and that's like so exciting for a dungeon because I love putting puzzles in so that my players are challenged by something that's not just fights. So that'd be my other one. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. That's more for a DM than a player though. <laughs> well I feel like even even for even with the player considered if if either one of those were only going to buy one of the books I actually, at least for me, I would lean more toward Tasha's just because, number one, it does the whole option thing, but it provides for the player. So the player's got options, and it also even has a whole new class, the Artificer, actually spelled out in Tasha's, and it has all the subclasses, because when they first introduced the Artificer in one of the source books, I don't think they had all the subclasses. They left out the armorer, but when Tasha's was published, they included the armorer subclass. So you have the full artificer options class. So if anybody wants to play essentially a magical engineer, be an artificer. So that's how I've always described it. Honestly, I've played an artificer before from Tasha's uh, culture. Actually, no, I played a a different subclass of artificer that was actually inspired from the Critical Role uh, campaign, uh, from their first campaign with uh, Percy, the character Percy. So I played a gunslinger artificer that was inspired from that. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's honestly really fun. Just I I definitely highly recommend Artificer and pretty much every class in this game. But it's it's one of it's a really fun one. My favorite character that I've ever played in Dungeons and Dragons was an Artificer, and she was a tiefling battlesmith Artificer, and Ooh. she had a she had a metal dog. It was essentially a robotic Saint Bernard. So it even had like the whiskey barrel like attached to the dog that acted as a storage compartment ah. that she stored her her alcoholic flask in, you know, a couple extra knives, like a healing potion. That way if she ever got separated or something happened, she can always just summon the dog and then to come back and she would have something. Which is what she had to do at the very beginning because my character had died and the consequence of that was that I could have a new character but I didn't have any of the starting equipment. And so I told the dungeon master, I was like, well, once we get back to this island where I was floating away from, I can call the dog, I can my steel companion, and he'll come and I'll have something. So at least she had weapons to use and stuff like that. So she was a very fun character. The dog's name was Metallica. It was the dungeon master's goal to destroy Metallica as often as possible. Oh, no. So oh, there was a couple times when, like, the party's like, hey, let's get going, and my character's like, no, I have to rebuild. It's several <laughs> hours. That's like, what it is. But she was a very fun character to play. I I actually use her now as an NPC in the in the campaign that I did to my stress. Oh, that's awesome. I love recycling old uh, characters that we've, like, played through and making them NPCs. Well, I know when my Dungeon Master, he'll actually bring, like, really old characters we've done from, like, previous campaigns and bring them in as, like, temporary NPCs. And we just get, like, so excited. We're like, and he's like, but your character doesn't know. And we're like, we don't care. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very fun. So it's, I feel like that's one of the highest honors a Dungeon Master can do for somebody to be like, your character is now an NPC in my other campaign. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- those are two, honestly, those were actually on my list of recommendations as well. But I won't bring them up because they already have been brought up. But... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. But yeah, and Emily, do you, do you have a couple recommendations that? I do. Uh, I, I also have two. <laughs> 
Um, as you know, Sierra and I, we are both uh, horribly indecisive people and cannot pick one to save our life. Um, <laughs> but I'll just I'll start off with my first one, which is actually the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. So here's this is actually the Critical Role inspired D official D and D guide that they've created, and it gives you the setting of. Um, the world of Wildemount to actually build a campaign in. So it gives you the entire story and the history of the campaign, gives you all of the history behind the factions, their societies, and and it gives you also a lot of the races that are with their own histories there that are of that world. Um, the reason why I love this, it also, oh, sorry, it also provides extra monsters in <laughs> um, and new treasures and stuff. But one of the big things that I love that came out of this, um, one of the main reasons why that I use this book for and what I purchased it for, um, is the fact of the Hollow One aspect that they've added in there. So the Hollow One is basically um, a way that you can, instead of resurrecting your character if they die, you can bring them back as a Hollow One, which is through necromancy, someone has raised your character from the dead and you now have like lost a part of your of your soul basically and it's really cool it's a great version of a class uh, to bring back your character as sierra actually played as a hollow one in one of my campaigns when her character died so <laughs> honestly i absolutely love that feature um to be able to like come back it just adds like another cool aspect to the game i, I honestly don't know exactly what to say that the hollow one that's just very that can get dark pretty fast it really can but it it actually ends up adding a really cool aspect so actually kind of touching on sierra's character a little bit uh, and what it actually brought for, from her coming back as a hollow one it actually brought our campaign and the characters together in such a uh, in such an amazing way as part of like a hollow one is you have kind of some part of yourself that you're not like obsessing over, but you're, it's always on your mind, if that makes sense. So for her, she was constantly like her thing that needed to happen was she needed to protect her family. And that was like the thing that brought her back from the dead, basically, is that she had this desire and this drive that she needed to protect her family. And her friends at that point in the campaign, so their whole party, had become basically her family. And so it just brought the players together in such a way where she she was very adamant about them staying together as a family. Um, but it let them grow as characters and as players throughout the story in such an amazing way. It was a really great addition to our campaign. That does sound... I'll have to I'll have to keep that in mind for my for my own campaign because it's <laughs> it's it's set in the world of Eberron and we're currently in the nation of Karnath and Karnath is very it used to be pretty heavy into the necromancy to supplement its armies in a continent wide war. So necromancy and the undead are actually very common in the country. So they're constantly fighting zombies and skeletons and just you know you know, reborn NPCs and just anything involving, you know, coming back from the dead or trying to cheat death or stuff like that. I'll have, I'll have to keep that in mind because there's been a couple times where I've nearly, our poor paladin, he's been just about killed like twice now. And oh, no. I've just been like super nice. And I'm just like, I didn't feel good about his character just straight up dying. So like, there was one time where his deity just straight up intervened and was like, no, it's not time yet. Try again. You know, like, you know, hit, hit start again. <laughs> so, um, so he did that. And it's funny, too, because our the paladin is actually my buddy Brandon, the, the other host that's usually here. And he, he actually, we posted this before, but he actually made a, like, a large D20 dedicated for death saving throws because he felt like he was doing them often enough. Uh, oh no. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Sad, but amazing. It's actually, it's actually really cool. So um, if people want to check it out, we, we posted it on our Instagram and our Facebook pages. 
should be there somewhere in that in that deed. But it's really cool because yeah, he did. He made it handcrafted it himself, and it actually turned out pretty cool. And the the one is actually it's got skulls in it, and the the nat one is actually just all red. So that way you know if you really failed. So yeah, I freaking love it so much. That is amazing. I need to make myself yeah. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Wildermount honestly sounds like a pretty cool. I I've kind of thought about that one for a long time, and I've never just pulled the trigger on it. It's been one of those where it's like, I'll just put it on like my Christmas list or my birthday list because I I come from a family where lists are everything, so mm -hmm. it's something to plan. Nobody's bought it for me yet, so I don't know though. Maybe uh, maybe my next uh, paycheck bonus, I'll have to I'll have to buy one more book for myself. So. Definitely have to check it out. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I do have one more book I'd love to mention. <laughs> do it. Okay. Um, the other book that I was going to mention is actually Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. So, I know I'm pulling out all the ones that aren't super known. <laughs> um, but this one, as a, as a fantasy fan my whole life, you know, I have been obsessed with dragons and all that stuff. All, you know, all that jazzy stuff, right? But, <laughs> but one of my things is I love Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons because it adds just so much more depth to dragons. It also adds two new subclasses for um, the monk and the ranger as well. So you know how you were talking about rangers, right? Um, it's really cool that they add, they add also a lot of sub-races for Dragonborn. So there's a ton more of creating like chromatic, gem, and metallic dragonborns, and they give you more like subclass stats with them, um, as well as a whole new. They call it the Dracomicon. I I believe that's how it's pronounced. Um, but a whole new thing of um, detailed history into every single type of dragon, as well as a new bestiary bestiary. Oh my gosh, bestiary, if I can say things right, um, of new monsters uh, that are all like dragon related. Um, it also gives you more information into lairs and hordes and how to play a dragon as a dungeon master, which is really cool, especially because there's, you know, there's lots of different ways that's portrayed in media as to how dragons should act. Um, but it's just, it's really interesting and it goes in depth into multiple different ways to play dragons and into their obsessions and how how they're going to act, especially depending on what kind of dragon they are. With, with this band's Treasury of Dragons, like if somebody wanted to do just a very dragon central campaign or session, then that's all the extra book they need is just this band. They can just do it all from just that book alone. Because there's just, as you said, there's so much. It tells you everything you can want to know about every kind of dragon, the different general personalities of those dragons. Um, and it includes my absolute favorite subclass for Ranger, the Drake Warden. Love the Drake Warden. That was my previous character that had died. He was, he was a Dampier Ranger, but he was specifically a Drake Warden ranger and so he had he had a little drake that followed him around everywhere that literally acted like a puppy so it's really entertaining to get a dm like this is a drake but you're treating him like a puppy i'm like well that's how it's acting and so he's like it was funny because my character didn't know what to do with it because it just kind of appeared and he's like well, okay i guess it's useful i'll keep it around and he never named the drake so no. when, when he died it just the Drake just went back to like the ethereal or or um, astral plane, you know, back to that plane of existence. So, but it was never named. It was just just the Drake or Drake. Like mm -hmm. he just again, it, we were just this. We initially started out as a group of like special ops, and so we were just very grizzled and um. So, but it it was really unfortunate because I was having so much fun. Um, with that combination of subclasses, class, and race, it just was, it was so much fun. As a, as a dampier, you could literally, by the time I died, I could have just walked up on the wall or like on, on the cliffside 
and just started shooting with my rifle, you know, from a place that, you know, unless I used range attack, they couldn't hit me. So I was never in melee combat. I could just, I could just literally be Spider-Man, but with the sniper rifle, essentially. Wow. Yeah, it's very cool. So I, I love the take in and I, everything about Fizz Bands. I feel like when Fizz Bands came out, I was like, uh, fifth edition is truly Dungeons and Dragons again. Yes, most definitely. Like it added that whole dragon aspect in tenfold. And so I completely agree with you with the addition of Fizz Bands Treasury of Dragons. It's one of my favorite book expansions to the game just because of that emphasis on dragons. Because, you know, when you think about it, in Dungeons & Dragons, it doesn't seem like we actually go into many dungeons or encounter many dragons throughout the game. <laughs> and this uh, band really gives you a clear picture as to how, to how to really get around that and add more dragons and add more dragon flavor into your game, just like you were talking about. Oh, and that was actually another one of my recommended books that I was going to mention. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. We're stealing. No, it's, it's okay. You, I let you guys go first. So, um, so I'm actually going to recommend, in this case, since we already got some good recommendations, probably out of the official Dungeons & Dragons books that I've personally really enjoyed using, is actually an adventure module. So I know with Explorer's Guide to Wildermount, his bands, I kind of almost would describe those as like supplement books. They like help enhance the game. Um, well, this, I should say this. This band is kind of a supplement. In the Explorer's Guide to Wildermount, it's more like a source book where it doesn't necessarily expand on the game itself, but it gives you cool open world sandbox to play in. And then you have the adventure modules that are a lot more specific. They're in very specific locations with specific plot. And obviously with any of these books, you can take away or leave in the book as much as you want. But this one I want to recommend is actually an adventure module. And I'm going to say Tales of the Yawning Portal because it is this beautiful adventure module where it actually has, instead of like full-blown campaigns that are meant to take time to play through, you get a, you get about, I want to say, I think it's five or so, roughly, mini adventures so you can treat them as if you really wanted to you could turn them into like really like really long one shots if you really wanted to but they're actually designed to be done within like three or four sessions and that's the whole campaign i know a lot of people one of the more popular ones out of that is called the sunless citadel it's a, it's a really fun setting where essentially there's a tree growing in this sunken citadel that you have to get to and in the summer it gets fruit that heals any ailment, any injury, like it's just the miracle here all. But in the winter, it's like the most deadly poisonous fruit in the whole entire world. It's just toss up. But they they look very similar. They don't they don't look different. So it depends on what season you get them and people haven't been figuring that out. So a lot of people have been dying. The wrong people have been living. So it's just fun adventure where you have to go. I think at the end, um, I guess minor spoilers for anybody, but it's actually the villain's actually like a crazy druid instead of you know what kind of druids aren't generally villains. So yeah, that's really cool that uh, they had that in there though because it's nice. It's a nice break of the stereotypes, right? Because we do love our our goblins and our necromancers, but it's kind of fun to have like a a druid like some. You know, the evil disguised as good, and I guess in that sense. Yeah, it's very fun. So I feel like it's a great uh, adventure module. I mean, there's there's definitely adventure modules out there that are very particular for beginners, like Minds of Pandelver. I know there's a couple others. But Tales of the Mountain Coral, I feel like it's a good book to have, whether you're a beginner or a veteran, because you can insert those you can almost treat them as side quests that get, or you can like weave them into whatever plot you're doing and, and have that to work with. So it's, I feel like it's just a good thing for, for either a beginning dungeon master or a veteran or, or whatever in between. Cause it can be, it can be as short or as long as you really want. While other venture modules, 
you would have to cut a lot out to shorten it to a point. So these ones are just built for that. So that's one I highly recommend. Very fun to have. Um, and actually, I'm going to break the how we've been talking about official books. I'm actually going to recommend a third-party book. It is called, it's essentially, it's called The Game Master's Guide to Non-Player Characters. Okay, that's awesome because I have the Game Master's Guide to Traps and, and Puzzles. So I, I agree with you on the third party of the Game Master's Guide books. I believe there's like three of them, but they're really good. There's four of them. Oh, there's four of them. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, they just they just published, essentially they published a dragon one. Uh, Game mm. Master's Guide to Dragons. And I, I almost bought that one, but the only reason why I didn't is because I haven't fully utilized this band yet, which I already own. Mm. So I I resisted. It was pretty hard, but I resisted. Plus, I would I don't have the Traps and Puzzles one yet, and that's one I really, really want. So I was like, okay, I would rather spend the money on that one. Mm-hmm. And Bookstore didn't have it, so I didn't. Yeah. Did buy it. I was just going to say they have the Dragon one, they have Game Master's Guide to Non-Player Characters, the Traps and Puzzles, and then the Game Master's Guide to Random Encounters. Those are the four they have right now. Okay, that's awesome. I was going to say about the Traps and Puzzles one, you do have to be very careful, though, because I have, like, almost killed my no, players. No, she did. She TPK'd us. I did. I accidentally killed everyone with a trap that I thought was meant for low players. So definitely go through and double-check the stats and double-check the damage before throwing one of those traps into the game. I... Because <laughs> I pulled it, there's like a, a deadly traps section in the book, and then there's also just like a um, disruptive traps section, and I almost killed them with a disruptive trap section one. She did kill us. She's saying okay, almost, I but did. she did kill us. Okay, okay. It was she an took accident. pity on us and had us get captured and revived, <laughs> but she killed us. Because it was my fault that they died, so... Um, so definitely keep that in mind with the puzzles. Low down the damage. Um, even though they are super fun traps, super fun puzzles, it is very easy to kill someone with them. What's in the non-player character one? I'm actually really curious to hear about this one. Well, the reason why I really love this one, and I actually had it with me next to me, but I must have, I must have shelved it while, while clearing space. What I really love about that one in particular, it's literally, it's, it's a book that I could have next to me during a session, like in the middle of a session. And because a lot of players, they're like, hey, I'm curious about this person because they said a line. And you're like, that was a throwaway passerby NPC. Like there's nothing to them. So I'm like, oh, I guess if they really want to know them, I can just pull up that book. And it's categorized by like city, country, town, like medium-sized town, outposts, and the kind of characters you would see in those settings. So you, if your character, if your party that you're that you're with is in the city, and one of your players decides to start talking to somebody, you get to know them. You know, you can open up to the city section, and a lot of times there's even subsections within those sections, and just take like an NPC that's already fleshly developed and be able to utilize that in the game right then and there. So it's, it's, it's a perfect, not only is it a perfect backup, but sometimes when you're planning, you're just like, you know what, I'm really busy. I have a lot going on, but I don't want to skimp on this. So instead of having to worry about making NPCs from scratch, just pull out the book and find one that's perfectly appropriate for the setting. It's, it's just been a very, it's nice to have those books where you can literally just reach in game and just be like, hey guys, just give me like one minute, have everything ready, and then you jump right back in. It doesn't necessarily take away from the session. It doesn't do anything like that. So that's why I really love it. So do they have just pre-created NPCs, or is there also a section on how to create an NPC? There are also sections. They, I know I know for certain that they have tables you can roll. So like you can roll D100s, kind of piecing it together from scratch. So, which is, which is really nice to have. So that's why it's a good book to have while you're planning because you can roll and just have a table right there 
Um, but as I said, it's also nice to just have those pre-made ones already to go. Cause I've, I've done that before and I've had a lot of fun with those characters. Like one of the main characters in the campaign that I dungeon master as one of the major NPCs actually was based off of an NPC from this book. That's so cool. I'm going to have to get myself that book. It's going on my Christmas list. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I probably out of the two, I recommend it. That's the one I would really recommend. So I was trying to focus on just like the official Dungeons & Dragons book that was the Coast published, but I was like, this is such a good book. I know I know those Dungeon Master guidebooks, especially the Dungeon Master's Guide to Random Encounters and to Non-Playable Characters. Those were actually mentioned by one of the co-DMs from the Dungeon Run um, show on Twitch. He really loves those books, and he's shouted them out a couple times. When people ask, like, how do you, how do you plan stuff? He's like, I really love these books. Stellar yeah. recommendations. <laughs> I need to get those. I didn't really know they existed that much. So, thank you. Yeah, she only knows yeah. that they kill players from the Traps and Puzzle ones that I pull out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, I've, I've done something similar with the player. Again, my paladin that Brandon plays, I had a... They were fighting, a, like, a warlock, and she was starting to get beat up pretty badly. So I was like, okay, she's going to pull out the big guns, you know? She cast, I think she cast and put wounds on him. And she just rolled really, really high. I think she one-shotted him. Like, well, not one-shotted him, but she, like, was able to do so much damage that, again, I was, he's like, wait, this is, that's more damage than my total at this point. Oh, my God. So, which in that case is, it's just, we automatically die. There's no death saving throw. There's no chance to stabilize it. They just die. And so I was like, whoops. Um, well, good thing your paladin and your deity really likes you. So, <laughs> so his deity appeared to him in kind of like this, like, in between state place, in between life and death. And like, no, you can go back. Go back. So, yeah, honestly. I, I, felt, I felt really bad. That is. I, I completely 100% understand. I abide by my own personal rule that if I, if I as the dungeon master, accidentally kill a player, I will do everything in my power to bring them back because they deserve that freebie. Because <laughs> that was my fault. Well, I feel like as a dungeon master or even a game master for any system, your, your job isn't to kill the players. That's, that's not your job. Exactly. Now... It happens. It can happen, and if it does happen, and the, and you feel like the scenario was fair, then it's just is how it was, and that's how it was for my last character that died. It, the dungeon master just looked at me. He's like, "This wasn't supposed to kill anybody, like at all. Mm-hmm. This was just an encounter to have on the way to to the city that you're trying to get to." And he's like, "They just rolled really, really high all the time." Like, I'm not lying. Like, he, because halfway through, he finally got rid of the DM screen so that he could actually, so we could see the dice. And sure enough, they were just, he was just rolling really high. Oh, no. I think they, like, missed one time. Oh, so, my goodness. Ouch. So, it, it, yeah, and I don't, I think he didn't realize, too, that a ranger stuck in a rowboat that can't move anywhere is not a good place for the ranger to be because they range. <laughs> Understandable. And he talked to me, and I we actually talked about potentially bringing him back as like a reborn or like through something. And I was like, I understand. By he's like, if I do this, it's going to be a con, like a real consequence. Because your character dies, so if we bring him back, it still has to weigh. And I was like, no, I totally understand. But ultimately, I was like, you know what? This new character I thought of, it's actually a bard that turned into a ranger. So it's like this very happy-go-lucky ranger that just loves to, like, seeing actually, like, nice people. So it's, it's it, it kind of annoys the other characters a lot, but it's kind of, it's in a, in a fun, good way to the point, like, it doesn't actually truly annoy them, but, like, their characters are really annoyed by my character. That is fun. She's, she's pretty fun to play as, so. I support the bard. That was my first character and shall forever be my favorite class. <laughs> Bards are the best. 
Bards are very enjoyable. Though I gotta say, my favorite class has gotta be a cleric. Because that was also cleric. my favorite character. See, everybody loves the cleric. <laughs> it's just a happy, it's a good class. There's a lot of different routes you can go with it, you know? Um, There's a lot of different domains, like mm-hmm. subclasses for a cleric. Like, it's pretty wide range. Like, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, and then when you get the supplement books added into it, it makes it even wider of a range that you can go. Um, honestly, clerics are fun, especially when you like can create a really fun backstory with them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, one thing speaking of like NPCs and like creating, I have to mention that something that most people don't realize is that in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a section, obviously on building NPCs, but within that section, it actually gives few more subclass options for the Paladin and for the Cleric. Oh, really? Uh, and it's, it's only allowed, it's one of those things where it's not like official official, but it does become official if the Dungeon Master allows these classes to be played by a player. So, um, one is a little more well-known, I feel like, in the D&D community, and that is the Oathbreaker Paladin. Subclass, oh, yeah. where you play a paladin, where you you break your oath, which is is a serious consequence. It's one of the classes, I would say, because in our last episode we kind of rated Dungeons and Dragons, and one thing we gave a low score on was the role playing. That the mechanics in Dungeons and Dragons doesn't really support role playing. It's just something you just you just do, and it's completely up to the group on how to do that. There's no mechanics that really push that, but the Paladin class in general, that is one of the classes where that's actually not the case, because if your Paladin is doing uh, really sketchy things, the Dungeon Master can be like, hey, if you're not careful, your deity will see this as breaking your oath, and there are serious consequences to to not being a true Paladin, because Paladins are generally really good, for the most part. So that's the one class where, you, where role-playing actually is mechanically supported and important. So, but Oathbreaker, it's an interesting class. And there's a way to where, so it's an option. It's probably more well-known because when a player plays a Paladin that breaks Oath, that's when, okay, the Dungeon Master's like, okay, I have to allow this now so that they can keep playing that character. So they work on recreating the stats and the spells and like reworking the character. But there's also the option to where a paladin can truly repent and be able to restore their oath if they do things that explicitly show that they've repented, that they've they've come back and that they live by those tenets again. So, but speaking of clerics, so that's a less known one. There's a death domain cleric. That's right. Yes. So... And I didn't know as much about that one until recently when I learned about it a little bit. Because with Halloween coming up, you read the spookier stuff in, in Dungeons and & Dragons. And the Death Domain, I'm like, I feel like this is just straight up another option for a necromancy wizard. <laughs> <laughs> it pretty much is. I mean, no, it really is. Because I'm, I'm listening to him like, this just sounds like a necromancer, but instead of like learning how to raise the dead, they're you know, quote-unquote, blessed to be able to raise the dead. So, but it's still the same obsessive mindset for the most part. So, mm-hmm. And they, they like, practically worship death. So, just, just a fun fact about the Dungeon Master. And that's, those are actually, the, that's the one section I've gone to, like, over and over again. I almost played an Oathbreaker. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, I, I wasn't playing a paladin that broke their oath. I was creating a new character, potentially, because party alignment was drifting so far apart that I was like, I don't think in-game I can justify my character staying with them. And so I was preparing a second character, because the party essentially was going evil. Oh. Like, their alignment was shifting evil, because a lot of them were chaotic neutral, and so there's a fine line, and so they were crossing that line, and my character was neutral good. So... It was pretty far off. So I was like, well, I guess if they want an evil character, then I'll give them an evil character. So I was preparing this Oathbreaker Paladin that was 
that was a that was going to be secret agent actually working for the people they were fighting against. So, yeah, because we we knew that it was coming at the end of the campaign, so I didn't feel bad. And the DM was like, you know what, we only have a few more sessions to go, so I'm okay with this. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I don't I don't encourage and no DM should encourage. Inner, like major inner party or inner player conflict. They shouldn't necessarily encourage it. But depending on the scenario, it, it has its place. It, or I should say it can have it. Definitely. There's like a lot of different, you know, I think it's really cool because there's a lot of different like options for customization in Dungeons and Dragons. And you know, that actually made me think while we were talking of another book that adds a lot more customization options which is Mordecai's Tome of Foes and that's when you guys talked about oh yeah you guys talked about that one before but just because or sorry the monsters of the multiverse sorry not that's what I meant that's the book I meant Mordecai's Monsters of the Multiverse um that adds just like a ton more customization options this is more on like racial um, customization rather than like class but like as we've been talking about like the customization of classes that we can find in all these different books I just thought it was fun to do it, that it would be good to do a little shout out to this book because it has pretty much all the different like um, expanded races that are outside of the player's handbook that you can play as a player are in here plus a bunch of like more beasts and and monsters and stuff I, I've been really interested in this book for a while since it's been published, but the only reason I haven't is because I have not only the Monster Manual still, but I also have Vogel's Guide to Monsters, so I already have two whole books mm-hmm. that I haven't even explored half the options in there, so I was like, again, it was financially I couldn't quite justify getting the book, but it can be on the list. So. <laughs> Definitely. And what Sierra and I have actually found is that Monsters of the Multiverse takes a combination of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, or sorry, oh, Mordecai's Tome of Foes and Volvo's Guide to Monsters. There's so many <laughs> books that we have. I always mess them up. <laughs> but it combines all of like the races and the monsters of both those books into this book and then adds a few more. Like something that you can only get in the Monsters of the Multiverse is you get like a lot more fae sub, fae classes like fairies, and you also get what like centaurs are in here as well, which are pretty cool satyrs and sea elves. So there's like a lot of like more fae stuff in this book. So if the financial choice does come between Volvo's Guide or Tome of Monsters. I can't remember the beginning part of it. <laughs> Tome of Foes. Tome of Foes. Um, just go ahead and get the Monsters of the Multiverse because it has all the monsters from both of them. It just doesn't have as much lore on them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. get more. That's what I have heard. That's what I heard. I, I also have more kind of Tome of Foes, too. And I know that has the options. Like, it has has a whole, a whole subclass of elves that you can you can be, mm-hmm. and I've been interested in playing a character like that, um, but I kind of settled on my current character, actually, she became a ranger because as a bard, when she started her journey, she fell down a rabbit hole that led into the Feywild, so she became a ranger to survive in the Feywild, but at heart, she's still a bard, so she has all these levels in ranger, and still only one level of bard, because she's had to survive. So, but I think next time we level up, I'll start getting more levels in the Bard. I, I would like to at least have a college, so. Yeah, that'd be kind of nice. It's kind of funny. You, it's, it sounded like you Alice in Wonderland, your character there. Yeah, I was like, well, how does my character fall into the Feywild? And for some reason, Lewis Carroll popped in my head. I was like, you know, it's the Feywild. Like, I don't think this would be that weird. So I was like. She fell down a really big rabbit hole. And <laughs> <laughs> so, just ended up in the Feywild and just had to survive. And, and it, like, she had to survive and be hard that way, but it didn't, because of the, how the Feywild is, it didn't take away necessarily from who she actually was. Mm-hmm. So, it's just interesting mix. So, I'm really excited to see where she goes. Because the Feywild is definitely a pretty, 
It would actually be really fun. I almost kind of would. I, I'm kind of torn. I almost wish now that they had like a Feywild, just a whole supplement book on the Feywild and everything. But I know they already have, you know, Monsters of the Multiverse um, and Tome of Foes. Although I don't think Tome of Foes is canon official anymore. I think they, I think they took that away. So at least that's what I'd heard. I'm not too sure. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, We still have the books. Each of us have our own copy of every single one of the books that we've talked about. But, (laughs) yeah. That makes sense. It's hard to recommend a book that you don't have or haven't read. So Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll definitely on our social media here, you know, soon after we publish this, we'll have to... We'll have to make a list so that people can look it up. You can obviously find all this on wizardsofthecoast.com. You can find all this on Amazon. Um, it's it's not too hard to get a hold of these books, even the third-party ones that we've mentioned. Those are pretty easy to find on Amazon. So we'll we'll give a list, and you guys can just, if you want to learn more about them, you can just search them, read the description on there, um, and so forth. So... But as we said, there's a lot of books out there. We just hopefully kind of helps you. Um, I honestly love, I think out of all the books we recommended, I'd have to fully endorse Sierra's recommendations just because those are fun for both the player and the dungeon master. And they really enhance what the player's handbook started. I, I have to say that. Because Tasha's was the first one that popped in my head when we were discussing this topic earlier with, with how it Yeah, there's a lot of really amazing books out there, and so many things. Honestly, all of the, if you just talk about expansion books as a whole, like, they just add to the game. And if there's something you don't want that's in them, like, you don't have to get it, you don't have to use that aspect. But they're just really great additions that really enrich the gameplay and the game style for both the Dungeon Master and the players. Absolutely. Um... Before we uh, before we close off this this episode, is there any uh, upcoming projects or, or videos that you guys are working on for for your channel that you want to talk about at all? Well, the biggest one, which we're actually very excited for, is called the Chosen One, and that is a fantasy audio drama <clears throat> that's kind of, I guess, inspired by D anD. d It doesn't take place in the D anD. d world or setting. Um, but that's coming out hopefully at the beginning of December. We're really excited for it. We're doing just one episode to see if people will like it. So if people do like it, we'd love to hear that feedback and to help receive funding for it. Because we're poor college students, so we're only doing one episode to see if it can get traction. But that's what we're really excited for right now. Mm-hmm. And as Sierra was saying, that we will be having like a funding spot for that so that we can hopefully gain more funding for that. Um, Our voice actors are also very excited for that as well, and they're hoping that we can get the funding so we can continue on to make the whole first season of Chosen One. Yeah, if you guys want to send me, like, a link to that to see if people want to support that or at least, you know, find a way to be able to check it out when it comes off, if you want to send me that, I'll be happy to put that in the the episode notes for you guys. Thank you. Well, we don't have any links to it yet, except on our website, so... (laughs) But we'll send you what we have. Yeah, we'll send you our link. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and to be on your guys' podcast. This has really been an amazing time, and we've loved and enjoyed this whole discussion that we've been able to have together. Yeah, it's... I feel like it's always a good day when you just nerd out about just books. True. <laughs> so, but um, if listeners want to check out Rosemary PG Studios, you guys, I believe you guys are on Facebook. Um, you guys are on Instagram. Um, your primary platform is YouTube right now, if I, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, any other platforms they can find you at? I know you also mentioned that you had a website as well. Yeah, so if you look up rosemarypgstudios.com, you can find our website, and we have links to all of our social media, we our Facebook and our Instagram, as well as our YouTube channel. 
We post our episodes on our website as well as our YouTube channel. Um, and we do also have an email on there where everyone can shoot us an email if they want to join the Rosemary PG Studios team. Um, or if you're interested in looking at our upcoming audio drama, Chosen One. Yeah, I, you know, I had a great time. I'm sure Brandon would have had a good time too if, if he was able to come. But as I said, he, he had something pop up last minute that I couldn't be ignored and he felt really bad about it. He told me the day before he really wanted to do this so bad that he's like, I mean, like, postpone. I was like, dude, they, they just posted about it. We posted about it. It's tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, but I think that just says how much he was, was also looking forward to this. So, um, thanks you guys uh, for coming on. If anybody has any questions, you guys can find that one nerds also on Facebook and Instagram. And we also have an email that, that one nerds podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any kind of questions, um, if you have your own book recommendations, um, if you're trying to find something specific, we'd be absolutely happy to help you out. So, but with that, we'll we'll go ahead and end the episode. Thanks for joining us, and happy rolling.